greeting, and now it's my turn to officially say good morning to you, church family, to those that are visiting with us, to those that are watching online. What a joy it is to gather together in this place today and to do what the church around the world is doing, and that is celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Today is a day that we celebrate life. And so we said it once already in the service, but I get to say it again. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. He is risen indeed. He is risen. Amen. This is the truth. This is the joy. This is the proclamation of this day. And my desire this morning is to communicate that that message of Jesus Christ risen is the message that our hearts and our world so desperately needs to hear today. In this last year, one of the things that has been brought to the forefront of all of our minds, something that has been unavoidable, has been the reality of death. We've seen it in our news, either on TV or online, as you scroll through your news feed every single day, you can't escape it. The death numbers from COVID are posted. We see stories of mass shootings. We see terrorist attacks. In our world over the last 12 months, there has been talk, not of life, and not the celebration of life, but talk of death. It has highlighted for us the problem. You see, humanity has a problem that this year we have not been able to avoid or escape. The problem is death is an unavoidable part of all our lives. The last 12 months have made that all too abundantly clear. And can we be honest with one another this morning? It's really quite depressing. It is. It's just something that, well, what I found in my years of ministry is that people don't like talking about death, being confronted by the reality of death. In fact, I have found that there's kind of two dominant ways that people try and address the reality of this problem, that death is an unavoidable a part of our lives. The first way that I've seen people deal with this is that they've tried to simply ignore it. They've tried to avoid it, to pretend that it's not there. They don't talk about it. They don't put themselves in situations. I've talked to people who said, you know, I, I don't like going to funerals. I don't try going to funerals. I don't like even going to, to hospitals because, as they've said to me, it's just a reminder of mortality. And so what they try and do is they try to ignore it and avoid it. I was reminded of the story of a, of a husband and a wife. This uh, husband and wife had been married for a number of years. Uh, eventually, the wife's mother came to live with them so that they could take care of her. They didn't have any kids. They did have a, a cat that was precious uh, to, to the wife. And, and after a number of years of really 
you know, just taking care of mom and, and taking care of the cat. The wife just said, honey, could I just have a few days to myself? Could I go on a vacation by myself? And the husband, you know, being the loving husband that he was, he said, sure, I'll take care of, you know, mom. I'll take care of, of the cat. You go on vacation. She said, are you sure? And he said, yeah, don't worry. I'll take care of it. So she went on vacation. And after a few days, um, she called up her husband and she said, how are things going? The husband couldn't help himself. He just said, just blurted it right out. He said, honey, the cat died. And she said, what? The cat died? She said, you should have eased me into it. Like, don't just tell me the, the cat died. Like, uh, you know, because why? She didn't like the idea of, of death. She said, you know what you could have done if the cat died? You could have, like, tomorrow when I called, you could have said to me, honey, uh, the cat has been playing up on the roof. And then the next day when I called, you could have said, honey, you know how the cat was playing up on the roof? Well, the cat fell off the roof and, and broke its legs. And then when I got home, you could have told me, hey, honey, you know how the cat was playing on the roof and the cat fell off? The cat succumbed to the injuries that it was experiencing and it passed. He's like, at least ease me in to my cat dying. And he was so apologetic. He said, I'm so sorry, honey. I said, I'll do, do better next time. And she said, all right. So she said, so how's my mom doing? And, and he said, she's playing on the roof. <laughs> Right? So, so, so I like that story because it does capture this idea that we like to ignore death or if it's a reality, can we, can we try and avoid it in some way, shape, or form? Like not have it be before our faces. So that's what we do. We try to ignore death. We try to avoid it. That's one response. Or the secondary response is what we often see is that people fight against it. They know it's a problem and so they try and overcome it. And they overcome it and try and overcome it in some different ways. Uh, I came across a story recently of a South Korean virtual reality company. And they had encountered a mother by the name of uh, Jang Ji Sung. And Jang Ji Sung had a daughter who, at the age of seven, passed away tragically from a rare form of blood cancer. And they came to this mother and they said, um, With your permission, we would like to recreate your daughter in a virtual reality environment. And so they did interviews with the family to get an idea of the daughter's personality. And <clears throat> they took audio and video recordings from the daughter to reconstruct her in this virtual simulation. And they created a simulation where one day the wife, or I'm sorry, the, the mom was actually able to put on gloves and put on the virtual reality goggles and go into their house in virtual reality and actually see her daughter her seven-year-old daughter, and she was able to speak with her, and they created a simulation in which she would then be able to put her daughter to bed, actually hold her daughter in the simulation. And as she put her daughter to bed, to hear her daughter say to her one more time, I love you, mommy. What were they doing here? They're trying to overcome death by creating this simulation for the sake of this mother. Now, some psychologists and ethicists have looked at that, and they said, ultimately, we said, we don't, we don't know about this. We don't know how good this actually is for someone to have this kind of an encounter with somebody who has since passed away, but we fight against it. We try and overcome it. It's, a, it's kind of a resurrection of the daughter, in a sense. And then you have people like Larry Ellison, billionaire, Oracle CEO for many, many years. He created the Ellison Medical Foundation. He donates $40 million a year to the Ellison Medical Foundation, whose sole purpose is to attempt to increase the lifespan of human beings. 
He ultimately wants to find a solution to the problem of mortality because Ellison said this in an interview. He says, death makes me very angry. It doesn't make any sense to me. Death has never made any sense to me. How can a person be there and just vanish, just not be there? Ellison sees the problem. He doesn't avoid it or ignore it. He's like, I'm going to fight it. And yet it does not matter, does it, friends? Like, avoid it, ignore it, fight against it. Death is still a problem. It comes to all people. I think one of the reasons why there's been significant depression this past year amongst people is not just simply because of COVID and the quarantine has kept us from one another. I think a significant part of the depression is the fact that people haven't been able to engage in relationships or activities that would normally distract them from the reality of dying. So what are we to do with all of this? Some of you are like, I wish I would have known this was a message from the first service because it's depressing. Like, why are, we, why are we here? Well, let's go back to what I said, though, in the beginning, which was this. The proclamation that Jesus Christ is risen is what our hearts need to hear today. It's what our world needs to hear today. See, I want to make a proclamation to you this morning. While our problem is death and it's unavoidable part of all of our lives, our hope is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means there is hope for those who are lost and dying. That is what I want to spend the rest of my time demonstrating to us is that while death is a problem, Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead gives us hope that we so desperately need so that death doesn't become something that we're afraid of, something that we avoid, something that is to be fought against and overcome. We don't need to do those things because ultimately Jesus Christ has done something about it. And I say this because God's word says it. First Peter chapter 1 verse 3 says these words. It says to us, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a, notice this word, living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the, what? Dead. Peter is tying our hope in the face of death to the resurrection of Jesus. You want hope today. You want to live today. Peter says you can because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now why? How, how is that possible? How is Christ risen from the dead a hope for us? Well, I'm going to come to that in a little bit. But we need to do something first. I don't know if your brain connected the dots did you notice how Peter says your hope is tied to the resurrection of Jesus? Which means if Jesus has not been resurrected, there is what? No hope. See, before we can talk about the hope, we have to solidify in our hearts and minds, do we truly believe Jesus Christ is risen from the dead? See, I'm no, under no illusions as I look out here today that there are some people here who like the idea of Jesus Christ risen from the dead, but the reality of it, really, to them, it's still something that seems far off. Like, I want it to be true, but it's hard for me to imagine that it actually happened. Then, what I've also found is there are some really sweet Christian believers 
who function in this way. They believe in Jesus Christ as risen from the dead, but for them, even the resurrection is something that they say, ah, you just got to believe it on faith. Now, there's a problem with both of those visions of the resurrection. The scriptures don't talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in that way. They don't talk about it as something that, that you can just kind of make your own judgment call on it or that it's something that you just have to simply believe by faith. Jesus' disciples, the message of the scriptures is that, is that Jesus Christ as fact is risen from the dead. And what I hope to do here for just a moment is to communicate to our hearts and minds this very truth that the resurrection is a reality. The resurrection is not something that's pie in the sky. It's something that you actually have to confront and say, will I accept the evidence or won't I? See, because if you don't, here's what the Apostle Paul said. Look at this in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. The Apostle Paul said, and if Christ has been raised from the dead, has not been raised, sorry, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ whom he did not raise. If it is true that the dead are not raised. If the dead are not raised, Paul is saying, listen, it, it didn't happen. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Paul's saying like, listen, if the resurrection didn't happen, you can just take everything else and just and chuck it. There's no hope. But I'm here to tell you that there are four reasons why you and I look to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we accept it, not on faith. We don't accept it just as something that we hope is true, but something that we accept as a reality. The first reason when you come to the scriptures is this. Jesus' first followers believed that he rose from the dead. Why do we accept the resurrection of Jesus as reality and not fiction well, Jesus' first followers, they believed it. There are four accounts of Jesus' life that we have in the New Testament. The four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each one of these Gospels records the exact same thing. They agree on the main points, which is this. Jesus Christ lived. Jesus Christ was crucified and died. Jesus Christ rose three days later. And they know that he rose three days later because they engaged with the Jesus who in a bodily form taught them, ate with them, fellowshiped with them. Each and every one of the disciples say, he's not dead, he is alive. They believed it to be true. But when I say that, a person with some rational thinking might come and say, well, sure, they say it happened. They were invested in it. But can we really believe these authors of the New Testament, can we really believe the disciples? Shouldn't they be read as fiction, as myth? And by the way, weren't the Gospels written 40, 50, 60, 100 years after the life, death, and resurrection, supposed resurrection of Jesus? People would say, that's a pretty weak sauce argument, Dave, to say we should believe it because his followers said it was true because they believed it. And I would say, you know what? That's a, that's a good point. I mean, just on the face of it, just believing these witnesses by themselves, you could say they were invested in it, and so, so they had cause to believe it to be true. But if you think about what you just say there rationally, you run into a problem. The problem is this. This is the second evidence for the reality of the resurrection. 
Jesus' first followers not only believed that he rose from the dead, Jesus' first followers died, each one of them, as martyrs because they would not deny the resurrection. Are you tracking with me? It's one thing to look at the guys and say, well, they wanted to believe it, all right? But how can we trust them? Look at what happened in their lives. This is a historical fact. You might say, I don't know if I can believe the Gospels and what they say, but this you can't deny. We have extra biblical sources that point to every single one of his followers being martyred and killed because they would not deny that Jesus Christ was the Lord who had been raised from the dead. Listen, you and I know in our hearts and minds that, listen, we'll, we'll lie for an extended period of time. Like, if you have kids, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, uh, you know, did you do that? No. And then you start putting the screws on them, right? You know, you see the sweat start pouring down, and then you start leveling, you know, the, the punishments, and then they finally crack. They're like, I did it, I did it, I'm sorry, all right? If Jesus' followers actually were purporting a lie. If they were saying it's true when in fact it wasn't, you can't explain why they would have died for a lie. And yet they did. But there's more to it than just that for the reality of the resurrection. Not only did they die because they wouldn't deny it, they did something else. Jesus' first followers offered up eyewitnesses to validate their account. It wasn't just simply that they said it to be true. When they wrote the Gospels, each one of them does something that any historian worth his weight will tell you. What they did was they gave names. They gave names in the locations of where Jesus performed his miracles. They gave names of the people who saw Jesus risen from the dead. And any historian worth their weight will tell you that when you see an ancient document which names names and names little places and even names the times and the places and the people in which the events took place, they said that is being written as history. It's not being written as fiction. And so what we see in the disciples, in their records of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is they say, look at Mary Magdalene, look at Salome, look at Joanna, look at Mary, the, mar the mother of James and John. These people were there, we were there. They put the names there. They, listen, if this was just a lie, you, you, you can't explain them dying for it. it. You can't even explain that it was a delusion, that, they, that these 12 guys all had the same delusion, and then they went out and they wrote these things out of their delusion. If they were delusional about the resurrection of Jesus, they wouldn't have put down the names because what they're asking you to do, what they were asking the first people to read these documents to do was to say, go. Go to the places. Go to the cities. Talk to the people. That's why they put the names there. This was a bold thing that these men did. You have to do something in your brain when you think about the resurrection of Jesus. If it didn't happen, why would they have written the names? Why would, within the first days, weeks, and months of Jesus' supposed resurrection, so many people, literally 3,000 it says, believe the message of the disciples because there was evidence to back up the claim? But then there's this. This one, in, to me, is, is if you can believe their accounts, then when you read Matthew, what you discover is this. Jesus' enemies tried to hide the fact of the empty tomb. 
It's not just that they offered up eyewitnesses. It's not just that they believed it and that they died for it. They offered up this account of the fact that Jesus' enemies, they tried to hide it. Look at this. In, in Matthew chapter 28, we read these words. It says, after the, the, the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty, the guards are like, where's the body? They go, verse 11 says, to the religious leaders. And verse 12 says, and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, the soldiers who were stationed, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers. And the leaders said, the people who did not want the story of Jesus raised from the dead to get out there, they said, tell the Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. That's your story. Stick to it, and here's money for it. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this, has been, this is the story which has been spread among the Jews to this day. Matthew is writing... Not long after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he writes this account, and he says, as he writes it, you all know the story. The people who would have first read this, they had heard this story. The, the disciples took the body away. That's not the reason why the tomb was empty, Matthew said. The guards were paid off to tell you that story. The tomb was empty. Jesus' enemies didn't know what to make of it, so they said, oh, we want you to lie. Say that the disciples took the body, but guess what? If that was true... All they would have had to have done is just to produce the body. But the tomb, in fact, was empty. Right now, I have a friend of mine who's living in Jerusalem with his family in the old city, just literally a stone throw around the corner from Calvary, the place where Jesus' tomb, you can go there today, and you can go down into where they believe Jesus was buried. And as I was talking to my friend, we were texting back and forth. He says, hey, it's Easter. Do you want me to do anything for the church for Easter? I said, yeah, do me a favor. Can you go to the tomb? Is it still empty? And he says, no problem. And then he texts me a few minutes later, it's still empty. He's not there. That's the truth, church. The resurrection is a reality. It's, it's fact. It's not fiction. And I say this almost every Easter, and I'll probably say it every Easter until the Lord takes me home. There is a lot more explaining that you and I have to do if we're going to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ than you do if you want to accept it. Let me say that one more time. There's a lot more explaining that you have to do if you're going to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ rather than accept it. I started by saying that the resurrection offers hope. The resurrection offers hope. If Jesus Christ is not risen from the dead, there is no hope. But church, Jesus Christ is risen indeed. And because he's risen indeed, we can now consider why is that such a message of hope? You see, the Apostle Paul, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15. In verse 19, he said, If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. 
Paul started by saying, if he's not risen, there's no hope. But here is the hope. He has risen from the dead. And here's what that means. Here's what Paul is saying right here. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is proof that death is defeated and a better life can be ours both now and in the future. This is what the Word of God proclaims. If Christ has not risen, there's no hope. But if He has risen, it's proof that death has been defeated, that the plan of God has come to pass. And for you and I, both now and in the future, a better life can be ours. This is what is proclaimed to us. You see, did you know that death is unnatural? Paul tells us here something that is very profound. Death is not natural. Death is not the way things are supposed to be. Death and dying did not always exist. You know how we know that? Because he tells us, look once again at verse 21. For by a man came death. Did you know that you weren't created to die? You were created to live. Uh, um, I was talking with Pastor Tony's mom right after the service. And she came to me and she says, I'm like, I'm going to use that next hour. She had a dear saint in the Lord, a dear sweet friend of hers who was dying from cancer a number of years ago. As her friend was fading from cancer, she was, she was in Christ. And so she said, I'm not ultimately scared of, of death. There's an uncertainty that I feel. I don't want to be in pain. But she looked at her friend. She looked at Tony's mom and she held her hand and she said, she said but the biggest reason why I'm not afraid of death was because I was made to live. And Jesus makes that life possible. You see, death entered into our world because of Adam, because of humanity's disobedience to God. God said, listen, you were created to know and enjoy me forever. But the moment Adam and Eve sinned, death came into the world. By one man's trespass, sin entered into the world, and therefore all have sinned. That's what Romans tells us. Sin has come into the world, and with sin came a punishment. Do you want to know what the punishment is? Death, physical and spiritual. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of our sin is what? Death. Death has brought a punishment upon us. Death is part of the punishment for our rebellion against God. And so what we have here is Paul saying, don't you see, death entered in because of sin, because of disobedience. And sometimes Adam and Eve get a bad rap. They're like, hey man, they sinned. That's their problem. Why do, why do I get punished for what they did? To which I say, have you ever met a child? We've all sinned. We, we all reject God's ways. To put it all on them, they were our first representative, but ultimately, we have joined in in their sin as well. Yet Paul comes and says something here. He comes and says, don't you see? Death entered because of one man's sin, but life has entered because of one man's actions. Who is the man? What was the action? It was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the one who has entered in. Jesus died, the scriptures say, in our place, and his death paid the punishment for our sin. How can dead people be made alive? The answer that the scripture gives is this. While we were still weak, 
at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The punishment was paid by Jesus so that we would not have to endure the eternal death, the eternal separation that is promised to all people because of our sin. But it still begs the question, what does his resurrection have to do with anything? You see, it has everything to do with it. I can look at you today and I can say, did you know that Jesus Christ died to pay for the penalty of your sin? But how do we know that his death was sufficient? How do we know that he was the sacrifice you and I needed? Have you ever thought about that question? We talk all of this about death and Jesus dying in our place, the righteous for the unrighteous, but how do we know that his death accomplished what it was intended to accomplish, which is to pay the penalty for our sin and to bring us in to life in and through Jesus Christ? The answer is, three days after he died, he rose from the dead victorious to pronounce to us, it is finished I have won. How do we know that death no longer has hold on the people of God? Because Jesus was the first one who went into death for us. He came out on the other side and he said, I have won the victory for you. All is paid. All is accomplished. If it hadn't been accomplished, if it hadn't been finished by me, I wouldn't be standing before you raised in glory. I was talking with some people recently and I asked them the question, what was the difference between Lazarus raising from the dead, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, and Jesus' resurrection? What about all the other people that Jesus rose from the dead? What was so special about Jesus' resurrection in comparison to him? Now, some people would come and say, well, all of those people needed Jesus to tell them to rise from the dead, right? And you'd be partially right. But don't you realize everybody else that Jesus raised from the dead eventually, guess what? They, they died again. Jesus didn't. He rose into the new life. He rose into the eternal life. He had the glorified body that he says that he will one day share with us. This is why Paul comes and he says, Oh, death, where's your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus took it all away. In verse 20 of that 1 Corinthians 15 passage, Paul says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Do you know how now physical death is described in the Bible if you're in Jesus Christ? If you believe that he paid for your sins upon the cross and that he rose victorious, your death, my death, is described as falling asleep. What happens when you fall asleep? Do you stay asleep forever? I, I hope not. I don't, that's not been my experience. What happens? You eventually what? You wake up. And the promise here is that you wake up to a new life. 
Jesus conquered sin and death and hell and his resurrection. This is why it is our hope. It is proof that death has been conquered and that the new life that he promises for us, a life free from sin and its bondage, has been done away with. For death to be truly conquered, to no longer have its sting, we cannot just have any life after death. The life after death must be better than the one we currently have And that's what Jesus proclaims is ours through his resurrection. This, my friends, is our hope. This, my friends, is our joy. Jesus, before he went to the cross, was speaking with Lazarus' sister. And at that time, he said something so profound but wasn't fully understood in the moment. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, Jesus doesn't deny that physical death will still be part of our reality, yet though shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks the question that we all must answer. Do you believe this? This resurrected life, this this hope in the face of unavoidable death, Jesus says, you can only know it, you can only experience it through belief in me. To believe that I am who I said I was. To believe that the work that I accomplished is a work that has been completed. And so my question this morning is this. Do you believe? Do you believe? Amen. See, here it is. If you believe that to be true today, maybe you have believed this your whole life. Maybe this is something you say, I've grown up in the church, I've never doubted the reality of the resurrection. Then live a life without fear. I'm not saying live a life that's reckless. I'm saying live a life of some such unimaginable joy and peace and contentment and hope because you know that you not only have life now, but you even have a better life to come. If this is your reality, if this is what you believe to be true, it should hit us at our core, and the world should see this. My wife showed me these Instagram stories recently, and and she was saying, Dave, I want you to see this. Now, what I'm about to say is not intended in any way, shape, or form to be political, and I'm going to explain that in just a minute. But in these Instagram stories, there were individuals who had, they're in my age bracket, all right? So, So they were able to get the vaccine shots, okay, for COVID in my age bracket. This is what those videos are. They were videos of people who had just gotten the COVID vaccine in their arms and they were coming out from having gotten it and they were weeping. These are 30, 40-year-old somethings and they were weeping, weeping for joy. They had gotten the COVID vaccine. I am absolutely grateful for modern medicine. I'm grateful for the things that we can, we can do, but I watched video and I saw and I heard people just unabashedly so joyful because they had gotten a COVID vaccine. But my heart broke for all of them. And you know why? Because every single one of them that got a shot in the arm is still going to die. And that COVID vaccine might have kept them from death by the grace of God for some period of time, but everybody who gets it is still going to die. It didn't get to the deeper problem. 
I'm not saying go out and live your life recklessly, but I'm saying if you're in Jesus Christ today, if you proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ to be true, if you say with me, he is risen, then you and I should be the ones who are weeping for joy because we didn't get a shot in the arm. We have not been spared the effects of a virus in our world. We have been freed from sin and death and hell. And that is our joy, and that is our hope, and that enables us to go into the world and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What those people need to hear, and they are all over the place, they need to hear that death is a problem, but no doctor, no vaccine, no person can keep them from not just physical death, but eternal death and separation from their God. Hope is found in Christ and Christ alone. Amen? Amen. And so my prayer for us goes back to what I said in the, more, in the beginning. We need this. This is our only hope. Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. Larry Ellison can fight against it with all the money in the world. You can create all the VR resurrections that you want. You can tell your wife that grandma's up on the roof playing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. There's only one thing. There's only one thing that brings us that hope and peace, and it's Christ resurrected. Do you believe? Do you believe? I invite you to bow your heads with me right now because I think, once again, there are a couple of people here who are wrestling through a couple of different things, and now's the time for you to take seriously this moment. That's why I want your heads bowed. Nobody's going to be looking around. I know how busy your life is because I know how busy my life is. This is the most important moment in your week right now because it's the moment where you come before the Lord, and if you know him as Savior, if you believe in the resurrection, you might need to be coming to him right now and saying, Lord, I've given lip service to this. In my mind, I assent to the resurrection. Lord, help my life to actually model the power of the resurrection. Help me to be a person who does not live in fear but lives in hope. Help me to be a, a person that knows that there is more to come. Lord, help me to be a person that understands the seriousness of this moment and shares this gospel hope with others. Would you pray right now and ask the Lord to empower you to live in that way? He wants to and he will. But then for some of you right now, listen, I, I'm sorry that I had to bring up death and dying and maybe that's not what you wanted on Easter, but Jesus says you need to face it. And you're either going to face it with me or you're going to face it without me. And if right now you are confronted with that reality, do not have fear. You weren't made for dying. You were made for living. But Jesus asks the question, do you believe in me? All you have to do this morning, the word says to confess Jesus Christ as Lord, to say, Lord, forgive me. I am a sinner. I am someone who has rejected you. I am dead in these trespasses and sins. But I believe that Jesus paid the punishment for our, my sins. I believe that he rose from the dead to demonstrate his victory over my sin. And so, Lord, I believe. I believe in the work that Christ accomplished. Father, you know by your Spirit's power where each heart is at today, what our hearts desperately need to hear. So, Lord, would you speak into those hearts? Would you do the work that, Lord, I can't do? I can't be creative enough. I can't be stern enough. I can't be forceful enough. But your Spirit does the work by using your word. So use your word in our hearts and minds right now. We pray and we ask this through Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen.